Thank you for listening to the Maker in the Mix podcast, where we discuss design, innovation, and all things concrete. All right. Um, well, good morning and welcome to the Maker in the Mix podcast. Uh, Jeff and I have been kind of chit-chatting before I started recording um, about different goings on um in the industry jeff is now getting texts <laughs> that, that's my uh good morning everybody uh that's my he's alarm a, saying hey got a podcast this morning he's a <laughs> he's a um, phone off popular um, man now. yeah we're gonna we're gonna talk about materials you know that the podcast called the maker in the mix like we've been talking about a bunch of different things business related things and whatnot but i think today this morning we're going to talk about like mix raw ingredients their roles things like that not get too deep we're not going to go crazy with stuff um what i really want to do is kind of um let everybody kind of give you more insight in is into some of the products we're that i'm developing right now uh alpha um so we mentioned in a prior um podcast we were talking about sealers uh last week we showed a new priming um, technique for Omega. So now its priming method is the same as the way you apply the finished coats, which is also the same way you apply ovation. So, which is the, game changing the, the for me as a process, maker. Yeah, saves a lot of it's, time it's material. It's streamlined, it's faster, and it uses less material. So, the first products I developed that were physical products, not just uh, educational products, which you know, I've been developing for the last 20 years, um, were the sealers, right? So that was the first step. Then a few years ago, I started um, with the concept of what are some of the other ingredients that a lot of folks kind of are challenged by? And if I if you roll back the the the, the calendar five, 10 years, the predominant and really the only mix most people use was GFRC. And then ever since Buddy Rhodes came out with uh, ECC mix and uh, the, the blended mix and then Buddy's specialty craftsman mix, which I'm going to set aside, um, you're, you look at like ECC, GFRC and UHPC, those are all um, in the same family of fine grain, high cement content, high performance, fiber reinforced, fiber-based concrete mixes. So they have from a 30 mile distance or 30,000 foot. 30 miles, man. Binoculars. 30 mile perspective, from a 30,000 uh, foot perspective, they're all cousins call it, right? They're all in the same family. Uh, the the bones of the mixes can be a little bit different and all that but one one element that's common to at least a couple of them is is the polymer so the the first product for of my alpha line my alpha pro product line is a dry polymer now it's not the first dry polymer on the market um so okay yeah what I makes that have... what makes alpha different than other dry polymers so what makes alpha different from um I, I can't speak to what is, what does it make it what 
is it different from or how is it different uh, Kim, from other I'm not asking dry for, for you know yeah. ingredients so i'm asking for one, like one commonality concept. that all true gfrc polymers and we had we talked about what the role of the polymers for curing so go back to other podcasts that we we stress and emphasize and jump up and down on our little soapbox about how important it is in the role of curing because curing is super important to your concrete um if you look at the G commercial GFRC world that has existed and is extremely mature for the last half a century, kind of started in the late sixties, early two, 70s. by the way, just as a, what's that? That's episode two polymer who needs it. Okay. Polymer who needs it. So go back and see episode two. Um, they were liquid polymers. So the precast concrete Institute, their specifications for their, for any kind of commercial GFRC plant that's certified by PCI must and can only use liquid polymers. Fortons one, Polyplex is another, Polycure, which is over in the UK is another one. There's some other ones that, that are out there, but those are the, like the really true commercial ones. And they all meet the, the requirements of PCI, which are, you know, has a certain solids content, certain pH, certain molecular weight, this, that, and the other thing, but they all are aqueous based, water-based. So they are liquid. And one of the, the challenges with liquid polymers is they do have a shelf life. So if it sits around in your shop over time, they can start to get moldy. So they start they to stink. smell they real gross too. Yeah. They get nasty. Um, I have also tested um, like two-year-old Forton that was visually fine but it didn't perform as well as new Forton. So it started to lose its efficacy. So there's that. Um, and they can't freeze. So any of you who have bought liquid polymers and had them shipped in the winter, you know, it gets expensive because all of a sudden you have to do overnight shipping and that gets For something that's 40 pounds and it's yeah. not. Um... So th there, are, there are some significant limitations um, in terms of, you know, if you're in a climate that's cold a lot of a lot of the year, you have to stock up, and it gets expensive to stock up because if you don't have the cash flow to do that, you can't do that. And so, logistically, or the space it, for that matter. What's that? I said, or the space for that or matter. Or the space for that matter, right? Yeah, because you got to maybe you have to order six months of product. Well, and maybe you know, let's say for the sake of argument, you're, you know, you've you've got a shop space that's heated, but you can't store six months worth of. Right. This, I mean, what yeah, is not everybody has a big shop. Yeah. Where are you, you going to store that? Or what happens if, you know, your power goes out because you had an ice storm and your, your shop's unheated for a week. Mm -hmm. It happens right now. You lose all that product because if it freezes, it ain't any good anymore. Now, technically, and this is part of the spec is it's supposed to be able to withstand three or five free saw cycles. That's, that's what it's supposed to be able to do. But here's the issue. And this is, I've seen this myself. You don't know how many it's already been through, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. From being shipped from the manufacturer to the distributor and from the distributor to you via whatever shipping company you're using, you know, it's probably going to sit in a truck unheated outside, maybe over the weekend. Mm -hmm. And you know, maybe it's already gone through three or four freeze-thaw cycles. And that's all it's got. 
and then and that's it, it's used up. And then when you get it, it looks like cottage cheese. And that's how you know it's bad. So mm. it's happened to me. It's happened to other customers of mine. Um, it's happened to folks that I've heard of. So we've all kind of been there, done that. The, the huge advantage of a dry polymer in general is that they don't care if they freeze, right? So they don't, they're immune to freezing. They don't like to get cooked. So, you know, don't store them in like a, a, a an oven, the trunk of your car in the summer, right? You know, but your shop is fine. And the other th big advantage is they're 100% solids. So, you know, I sell a 40 pound box, 40 pounds of that is polymer. It's not half water, half polymer. So, so what you're not paying you pay for, water. what you're shipping is pure product. You're not shipping water. And, you know, I sell a 40 pound container because a five gallon bucket of Forton or a five gallon bucket of Polyplex or a five gallon bucket of Acme polymer, GFRC polymer, weighs 40 pounds. 40 pounds. So it's the same, you're paying the same shipping cost. But you're getting twice as much material. You're getting twice as much material. And because of the nature of creating a liquid polymer. Now, liquid polymers are interesting. Uh, the good analogy is salad dressing. You know, you go, you get a thing of salad dressing in the grocery store and it's separate. You got, you got the oil floating on top and then the, the usually like vinegar or whatever, the water underneath. And to use it, you got to shake it up. And when you shake it up, you're creating an emulsion. So you're creating a, 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 an unstable mixture of oil and water. And the oil is actually in tiny little droplets because the, the act of shaking it breaks up the oil into little droplets. And those droplets are roughly distributed within the water. And when you use it, it stays kind of as this emulsion mixture. But over time, it separates. Well, acrylic liquid polymers... The polymer itself are, are tiny little droplets. They're an, it's an emulsion. And there are stabilizers that keep it from separating. So that stabilizer adds to the volume of material because it's part of... Well, so you're saying 51% solids might not actually be 51% polymer. Who knows? Right. right. Only the manufacturer really knows what their formulation is. But you know that 49% of that bucket is water. So 49 And, and then the, the additional components of, you know, I mean, I used, I have used Forton forever. And I've used yeah. a number of different um, dry polymers as well. And from my kind of use, Forton is pretty foamy and sticky. Yeah. Um, it just so, is. Tell me, I mean, let me get let me get yeah. back to, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. to this. All right. So you know, some amount of the solids isn't actually polymer, it's the stuff that makes it stay liquid. And then when you mix that into your concrete, and as your cement starts reacting with the mixed water, as that reaction consumes the liquid, excess liquid water, and you now turn into a solid. Mm -hmm. the the polymer droplets which are really tiny they're like 10 microns in diameter um they start the because they're the, the amount of water around them is going away 
It's being consumed. So now those droplets coalesce because there's less water to stay. They're, they're being forced apart, right? It's like uh, two, two magnets repelling each other. Um, those little droplets, the stabilizers, now can't overcome that attraction because there's less water in between them. And now the, the, the liquid polymer merges and that's, that's why you have to cure your concrete under plastic overnight because it takes a certain amount of time for the Portland cement to consume the water so that that polymer can start to coalesce into a continuous matrix. Now, let me ask you a quick question about uh, polymer in the concrete, because then I've heard this um, kind of in the sphere of our little industry. Uh, by introducing a polymer, are you giving the concrete the characteristics of the rubber and or plastic acrylic that is the polymer? Certainly in theory, there's a tiny bit of influence, but let's use a good analogy. I'm going to answer the, that question. Um, largely no. And it also depends on the polymer. But really, the relevant point is, and this is what's glossed over, especially by those who have um, prejudice against polymers for whatever reason, is that it depends on how much you put in the concrete. So let's, let me use an analogy. Pigment, right? right? So we, a lot of people are aware that the more pigment you add to your concrete, at some point you start to affect its strength. And the, the number that's often thrown around, yet I have never seen in literature any kind of studies that back this up. And it's always been on my back burner list of things to test. Your ever growing list of tests. I've got a huge list of things to test is 10%, right? You're going to might see that. Don't put more than 10% in. Well, it depends on the pigment, right? Um, but 10% super red, you're going to be waiting three weeks. Uh, yeah, or ever, <laughs> right? Um, if you put 0.001% pigment in your concrete, you're bare. Now, I've made concrete with that much pigment because I need oh, to have too. tiny. Yeah, but it's a very, very subtle thing. So would you say that that concrete is taking on the characteristics of that pigment? Well, Yes, but just a tiny bit because the characteristic we're looking for is color, color change. Or I suppose uh, another good analogy would be um, salt in your water. That's a really good, yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. yeah. how much salt in a glass of water does it take to actually taste like salt, to take mm -hmm. on the characteristic yeah. of salt? Now, if you kind of do the, take the absurd example of, all right, we're going to take the entire salt shaker and dump it in your, you know, glass of water. It's like, well, yeah. It, yeah, right. But that's kind of the argument being used is, oh, well, now your polymer is, in it, it's going to be rubber. rubbery. Well, well duh, no. if I put in a 50% solids concentrate, I mean, a 50% loading, of, yeah. sure, but nobody ever does that, right? So alpha is a 3.5% solids. Forton... Everybody uses 5%, but in the commercial world, they actually use 6%. Um, they like the better performance that that gives. Um, years ago, one of the one of the guys who taught me, Hiram Ball, he's one of the pioneers of the GFRC commercial world. And he, he told me that, you know, in a lot of situations where there's, you need a slightly more flexible panel, they'll do seven or 8% polymer solids, right? So 
that argument, sure, that's 7% solids is a lot. And does it make it rubbery? No, but relative to concrete with no polymer, it's a little bit more flexible, sure. Um, so what I'm what I'm hearing is that we are we're overblowing, yeah. In order to detract from, like it's like we're saying, you know, it's hyperbole to get it, to get. I, a that's point a really across. good way of putting it. It's hyperbole. Um, now, what I've noticed with oh, so getting getting back to your original question, I'm like all over the place, right? <laughs> All GFRC polymers that, or all polymers used in concrete for curing purposes, okay, because they're, they're polymer, hang on a second. So, mm -hmm. oh, we're getting a book out. Getting a book out. Handbook of Handbook polymer. of polymer modified concrete yeah. and mortars. So, I'm just not making this shit up, folks. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, I, I've had this for many, many years. And so why is that not outdated? Why is the use of polymer not outdated? I mean, I know we've talked about this. Who says it's outdated? I mean, what what's their people point trying of view? to not try, people trying to get you to use no polymer? So so the concretes the concretes that use polymer are typically used in fast turnaround, large scale Thin panel construction, aka getting I'm up getting up and down, you know. This kind of in. stuff. This stuff. Blah. And that's the PCR, oh, uh -huh. you know. Blast fiber so, reinforced. So the guy I mentioned, Hiram Ball, he's the first name on this list. So he's the guy who taught me. Um, <clears throat> so there's my some of my credentials. GFRC panels, you know, when you're making the outside of buildings. They're making dozens of panels a day in a giant factory. They might be casting a thousand square feet a day, maybe mm -hmm. more. And that concrete is cast today, demolded tomorrow. And because it has curing polymer in it, they can stick it outside in the lot, in the dirt lot outside on racks waiting for it to be ready to install. Mm -hmm. Prior to the adoption of polymer, they had to then put that into a climate-controlled warehouse that is kept at like 95% humidity for a week. So if they're making several thousand square feet of panels a day, and every single panel has to spend a week inside this curing chamber, massive that's bottleneck. a massive building. That doesn't make it economically feasible. Um, and... Well, and to, and to to that same point, you know, if if that is what we would have to do without po sans polymer, right. you know, to properly cure our concrete, and 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 so that's what I want, you know, our listeners to really kind of grasp onto is that if you're not using a curing polymer, then your curing practices become wildly different by necessity. Yes. Yeah. And so, whereas with a curing polymer, we can you know, demold next day, process, do all the things, because proper curing with GFRC that is polymer modified is overnight under cover. Yeah, under you know, plastic. Whether that's plastic and a heat blanket or and yeah. a moving blanket or whether it's just plastic, somewhat depends on your 
where you are Top geographically. Really start to yeah. fold into that, but yeah. But point being, if, if that's what you're doing, then that's your best curing practices. Yeah. If what you're doing is non-polymer modified, polymer modified, then suddenly you need days. So here's hours. here's where non-polymer modified concrete. So we're we're gonna, you know, the the obvious example is. 99% of the concrete made everywhere on this planet, regular concrete, whether it's a bridge abutment or a bridge deck or a parking garage or a sidewalk or a fence post, that kind of concrete, right? That's all massive concrete. So even a concrete floor that's for a house, maybe the slab is four inches thick. Now we've talked about this, you know, four inches of concrete. There's a lot of space between, it's two inches from the middle of the slab to the outside edge. It takes a long time for that moisture to go away. And then this kind of concrete, your expectations of what does it look like and how does it perform aren't that great. I mean, my shop, you look at the floor and it's full of map cracking. Okay, that would be an absolute redo on some of the pieces we make because our clients wouldn't accept it. But this is just a floor in a warehouse. Who cares, right? Mm -hmm. So it's that perspective is, you know, you can't start whitewashing all concrete to be the same, have the same expectations. Most concrete has very, very low expect, low aesthetic expectations. Now, let's take some of the really high performance stuff, UHPC, which stands for ultra high performance concrete. And one of the definitions, it's a fair, it, it's a relatively modern version of concrete. So it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, mortar-based concrete, so it's sand and cement um, with heavy dose of pozzolans, usually silica fume, no aggregate, and other than the always sand, some sort of fiber. Usually, structural um, UHPC uses steel fibers, which are very strong but incredibly inconvenient to work with. Um, stick your hand in a in a pile of needles. That's steel fibers. So, yeah, and they'd rust because they're not stainless steel. So, or most of them are not stainless steel because it'd be too expensive. So, mm. yeah, you don't want to go near steel, steel, other uh, UHPC. But here's the thing UHPC is, it can be cast in place because it's used to, you know, you have two bridge decks, you, know, you have two highway overpasses, they, they have to repair it or replace it. And then you have a short turnaround time. So most of the bridge is pre-cast, pre-assembled, and then they set it in place. And then they'll have uh, loops of rebar that are kind of think of like a zipper. And so those two pre-cast concrete slabs come down, they mesh together. So there's a, there's a gap, there's a slot that's empty. And then the rebar loops are in that slot. And so they pour the UHPC in there to kind of bond that all together. Okay, so there's a mix that uh, a lot of y'all may know about, um, uh, Steel Like by Bill Coolish, who yeah. I think sold the company, but their website actually, if you go to their website, literally that process yeah. is what they're showing on the homepage. Yeah, that's like one it's of a, the- It's a video of them doing that exact thing. So yeah. if you want to see what it looks like. That's that's a great example, yeah. Steellike.com. Um, I mean, that's literally what they're doing. So it's, you know, its characteristics are 
17,000 PSI or higher. And I can't think of what that is in metric, but it's a lot, um, you know, more than certainly more than a hundred MPA, maybe 120 MPA. That's a lot, right? Your typical driveway is 3000 PSI. So we're talking uh, six times what is, more. What would the bar Pascal pound force per square inch standard atmosphere or torque? MPA. Um, oh, it's not Pascal. Okay. Uh, what, one 17,000 bar... is, is 1.17211E plus eight. I don't know what that means. It's that scientific notation. That's one with eight zeros after it. Ah, 10 million. Okay. Sure. Um, anyway, so in cast in place, UHBC, after it's cast, they do cover it in plastic and it's, it's got a very, very specific curing regimen. So in the, in the technical literature, like there's no one mix design. There's a bunch of different mix design, but the, the mixing process ex, is extremely specific, laborious, laborious, lengthy, and controlled. Like part of it is you mix the dry ingredients for 10 minutes before you even start to add any liquid, et cetera, et cetera. So, and, and it, it could be, it took in, 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 in real world UHPC, Typical batch times are twenty to thirty minutes per batch of mixing. That's well, so that thing. that's why a, a, a truck works very well because you got to drive to the place. Right, right. Or they'll mix it on site. So I've seen situations where, and maybe even in this, in that that um, steel like example, uh, they have an Imer, you know, the the big one, the gas powered one on site mixing because they don't need a lot because it's too expensive. To you know, but if you're doing a big truckload now in precast situations in a plant, this is where a lot of it's used to cast some really you know high performance smaller things, thin walled things, more akin to what we do. In that situation, you still have the same mixing issues and all that, or requirements. Let me say, the curing, like to to really extract and and achieve the the kinds of strengths that UHPC promises, 17, 20, 25, even up to 30,000 PSI compressive strength, pretty insane. 200 MPA mm -hmm. for the metric folks. Um, those have to be steam cured at controlled and elevated temperatures for, for a fairly lengthy amount of time. 48 hours, 24 hours at 160 degrees Fahrenheit. So that's what, uh, 60 centigrade, maybe, I think. Um, it's not just casual, oh, I'm going to throw a blanket on it. Right. That, that's not enough. These are very, very, and it's, there's a very slow specific ramp up of temperature. So you don't shock the concrete. It's held mm -hmm. at a temperature for a very specific amount of time. And then it's allowed to cool down at a very specific amount of time. It's, it's more akin to like forging and tempering steel. That's the really good way to thinking about it. So getting mm -hmm. back to curing, you know, curing involves moisture, right? Water is the, is the, 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 the activator that makes Portland cement do its thing. Temperature is how you control the rate at which that curing occurs. 
So right. if you if you mix your concrete and you cast your concrete and you cure your concrete in a shop that's cold, like so cold you'd have to put a jacket on, that reaction rate is going very slowly, very slowly. On the We've absolutely on the, had that happen side, in our shop before we got yeah. full on heat, you know, North Carolina. Yeah. On the flip side is if you have a, a hot shop or you heat your concrete, that chemical reaction goes a lot faster. Mm -hmm. And since Portland cement generates its own heat for a relatively short amount of time as it cures using some sort of curing blanket, we're, we're doing this, I'll, I'll call this passive heating, right? So you're just trapping, trapping the heat. Now I'm making, I'm going back, going back to the alpha because I'm developing other products that build on this. In, in part of my testing, I also measure the temperature over time. I measure it every five minutes as those samples cure for 24 hours. So I cast and demold within, I test them at 24 hours. So they're usually demolded at like 23 hours, 23 and a half hours. And there's usually a temperature spike. And of course it depends on your cement and it depends on the cocktail of what you've got on the concrete, but you're generating 20, 30 degrees of usually about 20 degrees of excess temperature. Now, the, the more concrete you make, the more heat you're going to be making. So you could get a thermal spike that's even higher. That's free heat. That's free time. It's like, it's like accelerating everything. It's a free accelerator. So it, it only makes sense that first you cover it in plastic to trap the moisture. And then you cover it in blankets. So I went to Home Depot and got some of that uh, foil radiant barrier. It looks like bubble wrap that's got silver on it. So I'll put I'll put regular plastic. I'll put the bubble wrap on top, the radiant barrier on top. And then I'll pile three or four moving blankets on top of that just because I have them, right? It's easy. I'm making small samples. But that thick mass holds all that heat in. And that heat, that radiant barrier, reflects it back into the concrete helping to accelerate and, and gain strength of your concrete. So if you didn't do that, if you had, let's say your shop was cool, you didn't cover it, you only covered it in plastic, but you didn't cover it in blankets. You might have two thirds of the strength the next day than you did if you really trapped all that heat. Now, I'm just waving my hands and guessing two thirds. Maybe, maybe it's, more than, it's more than that, but it's not going to be the same. Concrete that is cured under warm conditions is always stronger if it's the same concrete as concrete. So if you're advising artisans, are you even in hot environments? Why not? You know, like I was in Florida, would you still cover it in moving bags? Absolutely. For, why not? You know, why not? Why not? Okay. I mean, everything Good. about everything, you know, I've been doing this so long, everybody wants things faster. Well, it's free. <laughs> why, yeah. not? why wouldn't you do it? <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and in the winter, that's where you have to start thinking about active heating. Do you use electric heating blankets? Do you heat your shop? Do you have infrared radiant heaters over your concrete to battle the cold shop temperatures? Yeah, I mean, I have infrared, I have very large infrared heaters, as yeah. you know. Uh, I think they're each really one, nice. oh, they're wonderful. Um, they're like 30 feet long and they're like 100,000 BTU each, like they're big boys. They also use a lot uh, of Power. Prop or of uh, natural gas. Natural my gas, uh, yeah. my heat bill is astronomical in the winter. Yeah, because I keep my shop at seventy or above even at night, 
because concrete. Right. So, you know, something economical for me to do would be to invest in a bunch of heating blankets that well, big enough to cover my casting table. There, there are commercial heating blankets used for like curing footings in the winter. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are expensive. You know, you could, I, it's been a long time since I, I looked at those. They kind of fell out of favor. I don't know why, probably because they're so darn expensive. Right. Um, you know, several hundred dollars a piece. And then of course they're still electric. So you're paying for electricity. Mm. And if your electric bills are, you know, if, if your electricity is expensive, you're still spending that money. You know, it's power. Mm-hmm. It's used more efficiently. So you don't need to, you're not heating your whole shop. You're just heating your concrete. But, you know, some shapes of concrete don't really lend themselves to that that well. Or if you've got a lot, like well, for, you do for big reference, like you, I'm like looking that. this up in real time. Yeah. Uh, power blanket, concrete curing blanket from yep. Northern Tool, 10 foot long, five feet wide. So would not, I would need two of them yep. to cover my casting table. $1,029. For two? One. Oh, each. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I need so to spend $2,000 to cover effect. my casting table. Yeah. And uh, that's two, two months of, of a full, two months of a heat bill. Yeah. yeah. And then you still have to pay for electricity. So that's, that's what I'm getting at is let's you think of, look at things, look at the bigger picture and is it really worth it? Because the rest of your shop is still cold. So you still suffer, (laughs) right? (laughs) And then what are you going to do about sealer? Because there's well, and that's the other thing that isn't affected by temperature. You got to keep the shop warm in the winter, regardless of what you do. So, and if you're not heating your shop, and you're using liquid polymers, what if your shop freezes? Right. So you're kind of locked it, into that heat bill. Yeah. That's the cost of doing business. You go into any business. And if you want quality of quality of life, if you've ever gone into like a, a car repair place that didn't heat the shop, man, what a miserable place to work. Imagine working on a car when with no heat. I've done it. Yeah. It sucks. It's off um, your hands. Ugh. Anyway, getting back to, um, so alpha polymer. So I actually have three alpha is a, is a line. So there's the polymer, which we just talked about in great detail. Oh, by the way, um, I have, I've heard some folks say that, um, polymers affect the strength of CSA cement in a negative way. And we had mentioned this, this, there's a paper that says, sure, it, it slows it down for about an hour. But after that, so I wanted well, it like, certainly does not affect the strength. So I well, wanted to, well, uh, verif- to, to, to look at this, not from a theoretical, a- academic paper type perspective or, you know, spout some hyperbole that really is just, you know, kind of knee jerk reaction that isn't real. I made some concrete. So I, I went to Home Depot and I bought a bag of cementol. I forget what the lot number is, but a single bag of brand new cementol. And I made two samples. My water cement ratio was 0.36. I use a 0.2% citric acid. So that gives you a pretty good working time, right? I added, um, normally you don't need to add super plasticizer because Cementol has a, has a mild super plasticizer. I think it's a melamine based super plasticizer based on the smell. Um, but one of the issues that a lot of you who do use 
Samantha all have noticed is sometimes you'll make a, a batch and it's really runny and other times you make a batch and it's not. And it's because the, um, the dosage is varies a lot, right? They don't have a ton of control because what is it really made for, right? Anyway, so to kind of combat that, I added um, my my fluid fluidizer, my my super plasticizer, which is the most powerful super plasticizer on the market. TMP. Uh, yeah, TMP. The uh, most powerful. It, it's a, it is it a, is a twenty pound sledgehammer. Good lord. Uh, it's it's very powerful. So I did. You want point, a powerful plasticizer? That's the one. That's the one. So I added 0.2 percent plasticizer, just a little bit. Wasn't sure. I just wanted, I wanted to make flowable concrete. I wanted to make, make sure it was flowable. 3% 19 millimeter fiber. Those are the two samples. And the only difference is one didn't have three and a half percent alpha in it. Alpha polymer. The other one did. Only difference, correct? Only difference. I'm going to pull up my test results here. Um... So I ran these uh, July 18th. So what's that? Eight days ago. So I did these tests eight days ago. The sample with no polymer, 0.2% citric acid, the 24-hour strength, uh, flexural strength, uh, 1,279 PSI, average flexural strength. Now don't think about compressive strength. Those numbers are going to be much higher. Flexural strength is bending strength. A reading of 1,200, just round number 1,200, is is not bad, right? Regular concrete that you might make a driveway or sidewalk out of might have a flexural strength of 300, maybe 400. So 1,200 is pretty good. Okay. The same exact mix from the same exact bag made with everything the same except I added 3.5% alpha polymer. My average flexural strength, that's an average of six samples, 1,885 PSI. That's an increase of 47% of its strength. So I almost 50% greater strength by adding a small amount of dry polymer, my dry polymer. Now, I've tested that with Forton too, and, and Forton doesn't do that. You don't get those kind of characteristics. So... Um, I did tests with Cementol last year, same exact, no, same, this is all always from the same bag. And obviously I don't have that concrete from last year. So, cause I use it up. So 0.36 water cement ratio, everything exactly the same. Um, in these cases, I got a strength of um, 1,500 PSI with no Forton and 1,600 PSI with Forton. Actually, it's less than 100 PSI difference. So Forton was giving me basically the same, but it was greater than not using polymer. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, in this particular instance, the difference between with and without was greater. So... The, the the lesson here, the point is polymer doesn't take strength away. It adds it. Here's what takes strength away. And this is the difference between alpha polymer and, say, 
And I'm I'm using Forton not because I'm picking well, Forton. I'm using Forton kind of ubiquitous. It's like Kleenex. Car. You know, it's like yeah. I would say, you know, instead of tissue, I say Kleenex. Instead of yeah. polymer, we say Forton because that's most, really most people when they say when they say uh, you know concrete polymer, they're talking about a liquid polymer, mm -hmm. right? That's that's the connection there, which is not necessarily accurate, nor is it fair. Liquid polymers tend to be foamy because they don't have a lot of defoamer in them. And they don't need a lot of defoamer because of the way, A, they are, they are commercial polymer, and commercial polymers are used to make commercial GFRC, GFRC. And commercial GFRC is sprayed through a pump sprayer, not through a hopper gun. And it's that spraying action through a pump, a spray pump, that helps purge that entrapped air. So the mechanical action of casting gets the air out of the concrete. So they don't need to put a defoamer in the, in the polymer because it doesn't, doesn't matter. Now, most of us who are mixing with a hand mixer in a bucket, maybe you got a hopper gun, maybe you're pouring it. We don't have any of that mechanical advantage. And although spraying through a hopper gun does help that action does help purge air out of the mist coat. It's not going to purge it out of your backer. And even, even a hopper gun backer that sprays is not going to purge it the same way as it, as it does through a, a big machine that's blowing a lot more vigorously. And it's that energetic velocity that matters. I hit the microphone. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> I'm talking. I'm all excited here. So when you take the mechanism of, removing the air out of the equation, physically out, and yet you're not using it anymore, you're left with foamy concrete. And uh, if you think about a sponge, you could have a sponge made out of titanium, but the only but the parts still of made the sponge out of air. made out of titanium is the thin parts that surround the, all the empty voids, and air is just empty. So the more air that's in your concrete, there's less concrete in that space and you could have strong concrete, but if there's less of it, the whole thing you're making is not as strong as if you made it dense. So that's why you want to have um, a powerful defoamer to help get rid of that air or prevent it from getting in there because defoamers don't make air disappear. They just help it come out. They prevent it from coalescing. Exactly. Um, so if you've got concrete that physically is denser, you know, a cube of concrete weighs more than an equivalent cube of foam. There's more concrete. And if there's more concrete, it's stronger. Even if the concrete itself, the material itself, isn't any stronger because you have more material, the bulk strength is greater. And so... I mean, you've been doing test samples that literally the test sample of the same exact mix is physically thinner yeah. than yeah. the equivalent. I see that because when I make... When I make these flexural test samples, I make, you know, they're exactly the same all the time. Same water, same everything, all the all across the board. Provided I'm not like changing poslin dose or super plasticizer dose or something like that. But, the but they're always the same weight. They're always the same weight. So that physical sample, all you have to do is look at it. It's like, wow, this one's that thick and this one's this thick. And they physically weigh the same. 
So there's the same amount of concrete, oh, but this one got visitors. Hey, visitors. Hello, visitors. Oh, come on, be on the podcast. You you want to be on, Mister? I want to be on YouTube, and you will hide behind on the podcast. Yeah. For those of you listening, my son, one of my sons just walked into the room, and he's being all embarrassed. And but he wants to, but he tells me all the time, Dad, I when are we going to record on YouTube? Ooh, we've got the whole family coming in. We got Boone, my dog. Say hi. All right. Mr. Jeff's talking. I got to finish. I love you. Um, I got I got sidetracked here, but you know. Can you close the door behind you, son? <laughs> real world tests, real world That's flexible right. tests that are very much in accordance with the STM A nine forty seven dash C, which is what I do. Um, that's the appropriate test for GFRC. Cementol with alpha polymer is significantly stronger than without, and also significantly stronger than Forton. Mm-hmm. Right, and I, I think you know if you if you added a defoamer to Forton, you might gain a little bit more because it's less foamy. Uh, I'd have to look at the densities. I don't think I'm, I don't think I was measuring density back then. Um, I wasn't as smart as I am now, which is only a little bit smarter. You know, one of the things I look at is after I make a sample, I cut it up and I'm basically make a little rectangular prism and I don't have any here to hold, but I measure it. I got my, or my dial calipers. So I don't use these. I have some digital midotoyos, but I measure it to the thousandth of an inch. So I get a pretty accurate volume. I weigh it on my scale to the 10th of a gram. And so my bulk density, I can pretty accurately track the bulk density. I can see the effects. I can see samples dry out over time. I can see the weight change hmm. over time. Um, all that being said- Well, that's said, a totally separate question. How much water do you actually, like how much water weight do you actually lose? So let's say you make 20 pounds of concrete or hundred pounds of concrete, a round number of concrete. Once it's fully cured, how much of that you know, because, you know, my mixed designs call for, let's say, 18 pounds of water and 140 pounds or whatever that is. Yeah. I mean, that's how, how much, much of that over? 20 how pounds much? is going to. Yeah. I, I don't know. So here, here are some of the things that are effective. How much water do you start with? So uh, in my case, water, 0.29 if I have a water cement ratio 0.29, I'm a lot closer to the. And there, there, there's a couple different because I'm still there's still some water of convenience in there because right. I'm not some water convenience, right? So let, let's say for sake of argument, the theoretical minimum, and this varies. So it's not like you can put a specific number on it because it depends on the cement, but depends on other things going on in your concrete. Blah blah blah. Let's just say that number is 0.22. I'm pulling a number out of the air. It's not too far off, but let's just say it's 0.22. And yours is 0.29. So you have 0.07 parts of excess water called water of convenience. Some of that is going to be absorbed in... um, Sand has a pretty low absorption rate, 0.05%. It's pretty commonly easy to look that up. So... Your sand's going to get pretty quickly saturated, and, and it's not like it's a sponge. Now, if you're using some, uh, when I say sand, I'm talking about like quartz-based silica sand, hard, dense stuff. If you're using something like crushed marble, 
uh, or crushed limestone. It's got a, much higher, it's got a little bit higher rate. porosity. If you are using any kind of lightweight aggregate, especially stuff like expanded clay or expanded shale, that stuff is a, it's supposed to be this way. It's a sponge. You know, we're talking about sponge that can absorb a lot. And if it's bone dry to begin with, it can suck a lot of moisture out of your concrete and actually cause problems. So, um, it, you know, some of that water's still free inside the concrete. Now, if you don't have a curing polymer in your concrete and you don't have good curing practices, that water is going to come out of the concrete pretty quickly because it takes a while for that, you know, as concrete cures, you're generating calcium silicate hydrates and that gel starts plugging up those pores and starts knitting everything together and becoming more and more of a solid. Well, that takes time. Mm. So in the very early stages, the day after casting, your concrete is brand new. It's just solid. That's when your concrete's the most vulnerable. And so it's going to start losing moisture. If, if you have covered your concrete in plastic, like you should, and you pull the plastic off the next day, what do you notice on the underside of that plastic? Water. Water. Now, some concrete mixes and some concrete admixtures let lots of moisture. And one thing I've noticed with Forton is I always used to get a ton of moisture on the underside. With Alpha, you get and the thing is very that, little. That's the thing I've noticed with Alpha is like there's next to no moisture, a couple drops on the mm -hmm. underside. What is that telling you? It's that's it's more effective moisture in the concrete where it's supposed to. And that's how quick it acts. Mm -hmm. So it's more effective than a liquid polymer. And I'm using less of it. So here's what but I'm going to do. I think. Concrete. Uh, say that again? Here's what I, I think we ought to do, Jeff, because we are at 50 minutes. Yeah. Is a little TLDR. You know what that means? So TL semicolon DR means too long, didn't read. Um, so it's a way of uh, condensing, like at the end of a long post. Okay. A lot of times people will put a TLDR, like, you know, gotcha. if you want to, and I'll put this as a chapter. So basically the bones of what we've been saying here is the entire reason why CCI has even gotten into materials at all, materials and, and products is because we've seen a gap in the industry as far as what is best for the artisans that we're trying to support. So with regard to Omega, there, there was a, you know, we wanted to make the application process of a really high performance urethane sealer easier. And so and we developed and faster because, you know, if you're using the other urethane chemistries on the market, what you've got is you got to roll it for eternity. I mean, and, and, and I have a video of this uh, because I had a friend in film school. It's kind of funny and I'll find the video at some point, but uh, I had a friend in film school who wanted to come film like a, a some B-roll and a kind of promo for my business. And by the time we were done, he had one day to do it. And I happened to have some stuff to seal that day. All of the B-roll was me rolling sealer mm -hmm. because you just had to roll and roll and roll and roll and roll. And with Omega, it's like you roll it out. And you walk away, you leave it alone. So ain't nobody got time for that. That's exactly right. So it would take two days to seal concrete. And then you had to wait another day and a half to, to install it. And we just, 
ain't nobody got time for that. So, right. you know, I want a, a finish. I want a topical that won't delaminate if I seal my con or prepare my concrete correctly. Mm -hmm. And I just want you to know in seven years, I've used Omega for a year longer than anybody else other than you, obviously, but uh, longer than anybody else in production. I've never, ever, 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 ever seen a single ounce of potential delamination. Yeah. Just Even not when I've something... tried to make it delaminate short of yeah. doing something Listen. stupid like sealing over waxed concrete, I can't make it delaminate. I it's put... stuck to my phone glass. I put airplane yeah. stripper on it and it still takes three gallons for yeah. an average kitchen of this $50 very high deal like trying yeah. to make it come off it will it's so anyway um so i want a urethane because i don't want us i don't want a solvent based sealer generally speaking yeah now there are some applications for it like um we actually have been testing out uh trinix stamp shield yeah. under ovation which is awesome. I'm loving it. Fantastic, we did it on fantastic combination. We did that so at the cool. Legends event with, with the Buddy Can Press. That, um, that sort of amber and, color. Uh, we we liked it so much, actually, that uh, soon. Can I say this, Jeff? Sure. Uh, we liked it so much that soon we will be offering um, Trinic Stamp Shield as a primer for Ovation because the performance is really cool. Uh, in I've, quartz. Uh, yeah. In quartz. In quartz, um, so new size uh, to go along with ovation. Um, so super excited about that, uh, and we'll have we'll have upcoming you know talks about all of that. But it, it it allows you to do you know things that don't need you know something you wanted to like a wall panel that you wanted to seal yep. and install like right now. Um, I want to pop the color, but you want to pop the color. Use and this it's fast, fast turnaround. It's I mean, in that quick. in that that piece, we sealed it. We did like two or three coats of stamp shield and two or three coats of ovation, it's and then we outside. assembled and installed it the same day. And it's been outside ever since, and there is no evidence of any issues. Yeah. So, and so that's yeah. a really cool. Um, you know, that is the, in my opinion, exception to the rule of no. Um, no solvent based yeah. sealers because that combo is really, really great. And because stamp shield cures so quickly, um, well, it outgasses all of that pol or all of that solvent very, very fast. And so, you know, whereas other solvent based finishes that are, um, you know, like I think I used to use amper seal, uh, mm -hmm. and that's a very robust graffiti coating that is solvent based that kind of, outgassing I think takes a little bit longer. And so I worry about that for use in a kitchen, you know, a food prep yeah. surface. It goes um, in so the air, it also want... goes in the concrete. Yeah, exactly. And then it, it kind of leaches out. So the point of that is that we we promote with that one exception, we promote uh water-based food safe topical urethanes. Yeah. And uh we we wanted something that you could actually make efficient in your business. So ergo omega um so the tldr here is we got into products because there were some gaps that we felt needed filling and they weren't being filled it's like um my grandmother uh those of you if you're listening in the state of florida and you've been there since you know the 70s let's say uh people uh my parents age right um remember my grandmother because she was in legislature and she had an exercise TV show before that, the Frank Carlton exercise show. Regardless, she was in legislature for one reason, okay? 
and you can agree or disagree with this, but she was a part of Mothers Against Drunk Drivers, and she wanted to raise the drinking age in the state of Florida. And her efforts at lobbying were not uh, doing much, even even given she was in a, a you know a, a prominent organization. So she said, "Screw that! I'm going to run." And so she ran, won, and raised the drinking age. Yeah. And so the point of that is, she saw a gap, and she fixed it. Mm-hmm. We're seeing a gap, and we're fixing it. And that's and, you know, so it's like we're coming from this as a we we were more than happy to promote other people's products for a long, long time, and we just felt like there was a gap that we needed to to improve. So let me let me jump in because th- those are some extremely valid and, and insightful points. What are those gaps that we've seen? So let me just kind of rattle off a, a handful and, and feel free to add. So like we talked about polymer, right? So for for many many years the go-to was Forton, a liquid polymer. Well, some of the downsides are it's expensive to ship. It can't freeze. It gets more expensive to ship in the winter. Has a it's foamy, somewhat it's limited shelf life. Like okay, if you're using if you're going through heavy production, it's not an issue. Um, it's foamy, so you're going to make less dense concrete. There's more air in it. It's stickier. If you've ever tried to trowel it, it's just a nightmare. Um, by the way, alpha polymer doesn't have those characteristics. Like when you mix it in concrete, it really doesn't really, feel like there's polymer in there at all. You can't tell there's polymer in it. it. It's not sticky. It doesn't have any, doesn't smell, has no smell. It, it's just, it's like, it's not even there. Maybe we should put it for a few minutes. <laughs> we can make it smell like blueberries. <laughs> at least not fish. Um, yeah, there's no smell maybe. to it. The, um, so that's, you know, one downside Omega, obviously there's some great urethanes on the market that give you performance, but if it takes a long time to get to, to To get it it, onto the concrete or it's really difficult to get a good, like a good looking surface where, okay, I spent all this time rolling it and then it cures out. Ah, I got all these roller lines. I got to do it again. You know, you're going in circles. You're chasing your tail. You're wasting a lot of time and you're wasting a lot of material because the material is letting you down. It forces you to be an absolute expert in applying it. <laughs> really? So that's where I wanted something that was, you know, now we have something that's really easy to apply. Um, it's quick and you end up using there's almost, I don't want to say there's no waste, but it's a heck of a lot less waste. Very little waste. And and so I was comparing, uh, you know, dollars per square foot of sealer. Yeah. And, and that's the way to look at new, it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So you can't say quart to quart. You know, if a quart is $100 and it covers 100 square feet and another quart is $130 and covers 130 square feet, they're the same price. Yeah. So, um, and we, so we've actually, I, I haven't... Jeff, we haven't done calculations on that, but based on this new priming method, we've dramatically increased our square footage coverage. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. They're, thereby becoming a more economical sealer while still being more powerful and easier and, to apply. Which actually was at the part of the original topic of this this uh, uh, broadcast was uh, time and labor costs as well. So if you spend an hour less messing a around doing less. something, time's money. And mm-hmm. your laborers or your costs or your schedule 
how much is that worth? Well, right? and there are some finishes out there that are that you have to, you know, you, you wipe them on and then you sand them and then you wipe them on and then you sand them. And then like there's a lot of in between steps. It's like you can't yeah. just roll. You can't just go, you know, right. I, I want to be done in an hour. Money. Right. You know, um, and then, okay. And then, so, um, is there anything else that, you know, is in the works that would alleviate some of that for, for people at all? Yeah. So I am right now developing as, you know, alpha, I have, like I said, I have three products. I, I have the, the, the polymer has a defomer in it. You can buy the defomer by itself so you can use it in other things. And then I have fluidizer. So I have alpha pro polymer, alpha pro defomer, mm -hmm. and alpha pro fluidizer, the super plasticizer. Mm -hmm. Any of those can be used in any concrete. So they'll all work in cementol. They'll work, work in whatever concrete you want, right? Um, we teach from scratch. And the reason we teach from scratch is a... Anybody in the world can make concrete using their own local materials because that's the least expensive way to make concrete. Not everybody can get, say, white cement or the right kind of poslins or whatever. So I'm working on a very high performance poslin ad pack. So it's going to be a cocktail of poslins, the defomer, I mean, uh, the polymer, alpha pro polymer. And that ad pack, you could add to a from scratch mix based on your, the standard GFRC mix. You could use it to make your own, whatever. Which would be great um, for people using, you know, that, uh, you could shipping. add it to a bag of home Depot mix and it would make it better. Oh gosh. I yeah. don't know how much better, but it would absolutely make it better. Mm -hmm. Uh, but just to, as a little teaser. So today's the 26th. Yesterday I did tests on, I'm, I'm doing one day, one day and seven day tests. So this is Portland cement based concrete. I'm getting one day Portland cement based strengths, flexural strengths that are not too far off from cementol, like within a hundred to 200 PSI flexural strength of cementol, which is crazy. That's average. Some of my peaks exceed cementol. How's that? It's good. That's coming soon. You want, and, rapid set, you want rapid set strengths in Portland? I'm yeah. coming at you. And it's pure white. <laughs> There's no grayishness to it. And really high densities because it's got the fantastic default. Direct cast, no face coat high capabilities all um, the time. Yeah. So, and, and I'm using 3% 19 millimeter fibers, which are the most difficult fiber to get flowability with. Yeah. I do want to talk about fiber loading in a, in a future podcast. Another, we don't have time for it today, yeah. but um, you know, there are other mixes out there that are claiming very high, you know, w there are other mixes out there that are getting their fluidity from a lower fiber load, which is a totally valid way to do it. And Absolutely. we're actually working on testing the strength. Uh, and so that's one of the things that, that really is, I think admirable about the way that Jeff likes to put products out is he's tested them to the nth degree. Yeah. Um, I'm, I don't have like a sequential number of tests. Um, but my Excel spreadsheet of, of test results. Um, yeah. What's your final line number at the moment? Uh, 297. And every single one of those is an individual test. 
Yeah. So that's there, you those know, are always pairs. So that's I'll either verification, do like, right? Yeah. Um, so I usually do like like currently I'm doing a one day and a seven day. So I make one single batch. I cast it into two identical samples. One gets tested 24 hours. One gets tested seven days later after casting. And, and so you've got a, you've got a line. You've got 297 lines and two columns per line at least. Yeah. So that's call it 600 tests. Plus your, I know you've been doing 28 day tests as well. So we're probably at over a thousand tests at this point. Yeah. Uh, it's um, a lot. And a lot of those are, some of them are replications because it's important to like validate verify. Uh, and verify. And, and a lot mm -hmm. of those are just different mix designs. Yeah. So a lot coming at you from the Concrete Countertop Institute. Yeah. Um, we're, we're really, really excited about all of these um, kind of plans that we have in place, you're going to be seeing a lot more of us. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Um, we've been quiet for a while, but we're not going to be quiet for much longer. That's right. Uh, well, Jeff, I think we've, uh, I think we've done it. Yep. We, hit our, we, we hit deviated a little bit from the original, uh, you know, title, which we hadn't come up with a title per se, but uh, you know, talking, we were talking about materials and cost. And I think we ended up talking more about materials and, and, you know, why certain materials. I know what the title fun. should be. All right, go ain't, on. Ain't nobody got time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> <laughs> Which is true. Awesome. Everybody, it everybody is. wants it quick. So quick time and to, good. Time to head on and uh, get up, get on with our day. So you can get on with your day. Thanks for joining us. See you and next week. See you next week. Thanks for listening to the Maker in the Mix podcast. If you liked the content and want to hear more, please like and subscribe. Uh, feel free to follow us on YouTube as well as Instagram, Facebook, and check out the website, www.concretecountertopinstitute.com. And of course, we'd love to see you at one of our upcoming classes. Tune in next week for more informative content. Thanks.